We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And also, take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, .com. You can also listen to old shows there and ask a uh, question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good morning, Scott. And we should start off by saying that uh, we got a little bit of a scheduling change coming yeah. up. Uh, Big after news. February 24th, the show officially moves from 8 until 9 o'clock in the morning. So starting at 8 o'clock in the morning, February 24th, uh, from that uh, that date moving forward, the show will air at uh, 8 o'clock. So yeah, you listeners out there get to sleep in an extra, so an extra hour. hour. I'm liking that. Grab the show. That's you know, good. Get ready for the day. It's like daylight savings time and switching the clocks all over <laughs> again. Right. I feel good about this. <laughs> all right. Great. It's uh, a, a weird week that we've just experienced mm-hmm. with lots of, of fluctuation. And by the time you add in Bitcoin and blockchain and weed stocks, what are we going to do a show on? Where, no where do kidding. we start here? In the, you know, back on Monday, the Dow Jones dropped 1,175 points. And that was because of the president, right? <laughs> well, it has it to be Donald Trump because he, he took credit for it going up. Exactly, that's true. He did. So, does he take credit for it going well, down? I haven't heard him take credit for the downturn. Mm. But, now, do uh, presidents have any control over that sort of absolutely thing? Absolutely none. Okay. You know, at the end of the day, they go on profits, which and is why presidents normally don't talk about the stock market. Normally, yeah. Normally, and now having said that, uh, a reduction in ink in the tax change, yeah, that would be something that would affect the markets right. mm-hmm. because now the companies can bring back money that was basically stored offshore right. at a lower tax rate. So, all so these why would this happen like a week or two after he announced the big tax changes? Well, pretty much those tax changes were built into the price mm-hmm. ages ago. This is part of his platform. They're going to do this. Right. It was, and, and you'd see these slight downturns every so often when they weren't sure they're going to get this through. Yeah. But most people thought it was going to go through and it did. Right. So you're seeing uh, you know, the Microsofts and the Googles and the Apples of the world and there's plenty more take huge hits for a one-time tax hit this year yeah because they're taking the money paying a 15 percent tax rather than a 35 percent tax yeah on the way on leaving it you know taking it from wherever right. they have it uk ireland switzerland where they have it over to the us and that's good for the companies what they'll do with it is a different story uh, will they increase the dividend will they buy back shares those both help the stock price will they um simply you know give everybody, you know, increase their business. Yeah. And that's a big one. That It's not a, a, a snap increase in the price, mm-hmm. but, you know, do I do things out there that I wanted to do? I wanted to spend money and I, and I just wasn't doing it because, but now we got billion dollars sitting here. Right. And maybe we have a different line, a new product, whatever it is. Does this jerk everything loose? Does this shake things up? A little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit. It's a great, you know, lower taxes generally are a good thing. Yeah. You know, and, and. Um, Canada had an advantage of having lower taxes for yeah. quite some time. Now they basically are the same on the corporate tax level. So it right. should be interesting going forward on the Canadian side, mm. uh, what our own governments are doing to yeah. be competitive. But you're seeing, th- and, but one question I often get, it was like, it was huge news, news 1175 point drop. Yeah. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the question. Like a lot of people don't actually understand. It sounds awful mm-hmm. and it wasn't great. But the Dow Jones hit a high not long ago of 26,616. And now it's around the 24,000. And, and, you know, by, you know it, it can vol- go all right. over the place. So it's gone down 2,360 points in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Well, 1,175 was one day of that. 
Yeah. So about half of that. So it worked out to about a 5%, 45 to 5% drop. Well, you go back when, say, the Dow Jones was only 10,000, mm-hmm. and it dropped 500 points. Well, that's the exact same thing as it going down 1175 right now. So it, it's based on what is the index at now. Mm-hmm. So it's a relative term. It sounds way worse that it went down 1175, but you need to know the base. Can yeah. I get can I get mad at the media here? Yeah, go ahead. Because uh, it, I, I was quit. just I was pulling what <laughs> I was pulling what hair I had left out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the terminology for the last several days about the volatility in the market has been so inflammatory. Mm. You know, they would they uh, exactly what Don was talking about. This the largest point drop in one day in 136 years Mm -hmm. on the Dow Jones industrial average, the most points in its history Mm -hmm, that it's dropped in one day. And that's how they led into the story, right? Or hemorrhaging red. Mm -hmm. Hemorrhaging was everywhere. Talking about how the market is hemorrhaging. And yet when you convert it to points and you can put it into reality, it's, um, it, it wasn't as from a percentage perspective, that intimidating, but the numbers sound fantastic. And right? these are typical corrections, right? Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. In yeah, fact, you should usually see three of these a year. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised it's taken this long. Mm-hmm. In fact, and I think that is the issue here is that it, this is this rolls continued for a while. Yes, yeah, right? and very yeah. little volatility, slightly just going up slowly over the last year, making almost like a 20% return in the last year. Um, kind of the Trump effect that they've called it. Yeah. Um, but again, there's usually more volatility than this. You will have an, on average a 14% downturn somewhere throughout the year. So if this drops in total 14%, right now we're down about 9%. Well, that's really normal. The average is 14. Mm-hmm. So we're right in the norm. Um, as an investor, you list, the listeners out there don't get too concerned no, about this. Panic. Think long term. I always think, you know, are you looking at a one month return? Are you looking at a 10 year return? Because this would just be another small blip. How does this affect the so-called recovery? Uh, because many have said since 2008, it's been slow and steady and it's had a good run of late. Although if you ask people out there in, in listener land, they'll say recovery, what recovery? Yeah. But for the mm-hmm. most part, the economy has come back. Does this dip signal uh, a, a change to that thinking that, uh, you know, therefore the recovery is stalled, it's uh, turned around, we're, uh, you know, uh, seeing a recession in, in the future. H- how does that affect the recovery part? I don't think anybody thinks about this as affecting the recovery at all. This is yeah. simply a, a price drop in the Dow Jones or the TSX or, yeah. or the um, foreign exchanges in the UK and Asia. It's uh, what, what's happened is interest rates are starting to rise. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when intru- when you look at a stock price and you convert it, well, what does it, what, what's the kind of value? What kind of return is it making? Well, if interest rates are only 1%, stocks look, you know, don't yeah. have to do that much yeah. to, to look, look a lot better than 1%. Yeah. Well, now they weren't far along. They're only 1.5% for a 10-year bond not long ago. Mm-hmm. Now they're heading up to maybe 3%. So they're looking at this guarantee. Well, I can get 3% guaranteed over here. Well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have it all in stocks now. 3% is a lot better. I can put a bit of money on the safe side at 3%. Mm-hmm. And so it's putting some some extra, you know, if you will, just a lot more pressure on the stock prices, knowing there's a guarantee at 3% somewhere else. And so that's really what it's been about. It's been uh, possibly the interest rates and inflation effects. Will this affect interest rates going up from this point forward? I think they're banking on them going up. Yes. Right. I mean, we in, know in that we, we knew that that was going to happen anyway, probably a couple of, of uh, increases over the course of this year. 
Does this blip change any of that? Is no, it still I think, the same? No, and, and just um, piggybacking on what Don's talking about too, the rising interest rates are definitely in the future. We can see yeah, that. Yeah. But that's predicated on the fact that the economy is doing well. Mm -hmm. And so the factors that are still driving that are corporate earnings. Mm -hmm. And so corporate earnings, they just, they got a hit from the changes in the tax rules in the US. Uh, but corporate capital spending is at a record high. Wages have inc are increasing mm -hmm. dramatically. Uh, not only, of course, we know what happened here in Ontario in terms of minimum wage. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a small factor, but wages in general. Unemployment is at historic lows. Yeah, very mm -hmm. low. Yeah. And GDP growth, and, sorry, and inflation is still at historic lows too. Um, and so. When you combine all of those things together, it really feels, again, like we're in sort of a, a synchronized global growth period right now where, where everybody is benefiting. And, um, and so what we saw in the stock market recently is, I think, a, re a relative factor to where interest rates have gone. So mm -hmm. as Don said, it became more, uh, it became, I can ha take on a lot less volatility and risk if I own a 3% bond versus a stock that has to get me 3%. Right. So mm -hmm. I can I can have a much safer investment by switching over. So, and a lot of it was computer driven. Mm -hmm. So people- I heard a lot about that yeah. technology, just the speed of this. So people have been doing, it's called a momentum play, wherein if, if you looked at the line in the stock market in 2017 in the US, it basically just went straight up on a regular trajectory. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a momentum play is where you're just simply buying the market with a for, as it continues to grow and you put in a stop, a stop action or basically right. uh, if it drops a certain point, it triggers an automatic sell to get out. And so these are computer-driven algorithms mm -hmm. that are designed to- Is that um, good or bad for the market? Well, it, it's, it can create some wild swings and we, they call it flash crashes and yeah. things like that. Um, and uh, it's interesting how more and more of the trading activity is, you know, a guy just sitting back with his legs on a desk and yeah. the computer yeah. and the Letting computers, the yeah. computers yeah. are doing, doing the trading the yeah. where it used to be humankind. It used to be the individual in there yeah. grinding out the trades. So mm. that's gone. But I think it makes it more efficient. It makes it faster. Um, and we also talked about um, this technology about trying to get your computer closer to the point of trade yeah. to yeah. get nanosecond differences in terms of trade and transaction times. Um, and all of that's been tightened up as well. But generally what's happening is the economy is doing well. And, uh, and as a result, the interest rates are going to rise. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, uh, and that, that starts to tip towards using more solid investments like bonds instead of stocks. Mm. And, and so there's been also a, quite a run-up and a ton of media attention to things such as Bitcoin yeah. um, and weed stocks. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and just out of curiosity, I just want to show you just how volatile these things are. Okay, so Bitcoin wasn't long ago. We were only talking like a few months ago, yeah. if that. It was at $19,343 US. So if you had $100,000 then, and for those people that had $100,000, not, not many bought there, say, but they may have bought it at seven bucks. It had gone 15-fold. They still didn't sell. That just proves that people will be greedy no matter how much money they made. <laughs> And now it's down to seven thousand dollars, okay, per Bitcoin. So your hundred thousand would now be worth thirty-seven thousand, and it's absolutely insane. I talked to. I uh, wonder how many when because everybody was talking when it hit twenty. Yeah, and I'm wondering how many people thought, all right, 
I'm going to take what I got, cut it in half and get rid of half. I wonder mm-hmm. how many did that and how many, no, Not enough. just got greedy. Not enough. Most people said, it's going to go to 40. Yeah. It's going bigger. There's no limit for this. And and Ethereum is a is another one. It went from tw- um, 1217 US to 709 US. So your 100 grand would be worth 58,000 now. Weed, canopy stock. It was just uh, about a month ago, it was at $42 a share. Now it's at twenty four thousand. How does a that share. happen? Because there's no profits. It's a hundred percent speculation. Right. So right. that your hundred. So 000, will this change come the summer? Who knows? And it, should these people get in now at twenty four dollars a share? I don't know. I don't know either. It's pure. <laughs> there is no. And this is why this is not that. But here's the point that I'm making. Come the summer, it's going to be. It's the doors are wide open. So would that, you know, it'd be like it, I'm, I'm investing in a car factory and then coming up in the summer where I'm going to allow to be allowed to sell cars. Wouldn't that make sense? Unless there's a thousand car manufacturers. Right, right. Okay. And which car manufacturer is going to make money? So can you mm-hmm. see weed stocks going down after legalization? Yes. Really? Yeah. Because you would assume it would be the other supply and demand. No? There could be an over, right now there's such an overabundance of supply mm-hmm. that the price would actually be dropping. So right now, it's, it's so many factors. Um, what, how much will people buy? Yeah. Um, what, you know, where can you get it? What if I'm going to grow it myself? Do we have enough? Do, you know, and it's so many factors, but right now it's just like p- momentum, as Andy mentioned, the momentum is getting more, oh, I got to get in before I lose this. Yeah. That fear of missing out is driving the market. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. You can call now and leave a message. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Take a peek at the website too. Andy and Don that's all one word, andyanddon.com. And don't forget, coming up February 24th, new time for the big show. Uh, as of February 24th, the showtime start will be 8 a.m. The show runs from 8 until 9 a.m. starting February 24th. Mark that in your calendar now. Uh, can you explain FOMO? Yes, fear of missing out. And that's really what's driving the weed stocks, the Bitcoin um, blockchain. Yeah. People just put chance people, to be rich. You got to be rich. I don't. Yeah. You know, my neighbor bought this. It's like and, buying a lottery ticket. And I'm missing out. Yeah. He's got this, and I don't. I got to get on this, and that was really driving the price. It wasn't based on fundamentals because weed stock, like Canopy, and there's a lot of them. They don't have any earnings yet. Right. So it's all based on what they possibly could earn. So we won't have any of that till post legalization. Right. Right. And, and one actually, one article. And then maybe I read, a year after that. Yeah, well, some companies are producing medical marijuana, that's true and it's too. being and that's being distributed today. Yeah. And so, but the problem is they're not public companies in right. the sense of disclosing their mm-hmm. all of their um, profits. Right. Yeah. So there, there's a lot more to this, and, and it's like any new product. And then you don't know if there's going to be a new player altogether once they know the rules. Say mm. a tobacco company. Yeah. It comes yeah. out of the blue. Yeah. It says, "Okay, or right, a major okay, dr- we know or the game major, plan. or major pharma company." Exactly. I yeah. says, "We're going to do our own now." And yeah. next thing is they just, all the other ones disappear. So you don't know. There's always going to be a few mm-hmm. that will make will make it through, and we don't know which ones. Kind of yeah. like the tech meltdown we had back in near 98, 99. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of those, anything with .com yeah. was going up. If you yeah. put .com on, it went up. Yeah. Just like right now, if you put blockchain, there was a, I think it was a pet food company, yeah. put blockchain at the end, 
There wasn't even really anything. Yeah. But the stock no, it up. was the Long Island Iced Tea That's Company. The, one. the Long That's Island the one. Iced Thank Tea you. Company, who yeah. was running into trouble, and they uh, changed it to the Long Island uh, Blockchain Company, <laughs> and their their stock went up multiple wow. folds. What does that say? <laughs> so it just proves it is it's all fluff. It's yeah. it's all just froth. There's no substance to it. So so anyway, that's way you don't invest <laughs> okay mm. you don't invest based on fomo and, and missing out that's that's pure speculation that's gambling what we do with our clients is we want to find out what is their risk tolerance how much can you you know if you had your life savings how much can it go up and down and you feel okay with it and and part of it is now the first uh, five ways to figure out your risk tolerance is really do you understand the, the market mm-hmm. do you understand what you're getting now you may not know all the ins and outs but you understand how much it could go up Say the Dow Jones did go down like 30 some odd percent one year. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that wasn't long ago. Um, but you accept that. Um, you know, bonds can go up and down. If interest rates rise, bonds go down. So just having some fundamental understanding. Um, have you experienced a loss? This tells you more than any questionnaire you can take at any bank mm. because if you had, say, you know, call it a, a $100,000 and it went down to 80000 you didn't blink an eye. Mm. You said, oh, well, in fact, I bought more then, or I just wrote it out then you know that's not a problem to be fairly aggressive. But if it went down to $80,000 and you sold everything, yeah, I got to get out while I can because I'm going to lose it all, then you probably are a lot lower risk than you think you are. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is, would you answer the same questions the same way after the market's up or would you answer them the same or when the market's down? Mm. So the market's down 20% or up 20%, your answer should be the same. Yeah. Okay, don't let emotion run this. Um, are, you af- are you afraid of uncertainty? You know, the tolerance for uncertainty in your work life and the way you choose friends and even the rides you go on, uh, <coughs> say, at Disney or something, mm. um, all those things are, say... So those people on the roller coaster at Wonderland with their arms in the air, right. they're high-risk investors? They were higher <laughs> risk than the ones on Dumbo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then the ones in the teacup. <laughs> yes. That's right. <laughs> there's probably, there is a thrill there. And again, not rightly or wrongly the way you should be running your investment portfolio, right, right. but it is your makeup, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you start making decisions based on emotion, it's usually a failure. Um, and do you have money elsewhere? And this is a key one. This is one people don't often look at. Do you have a pension elsewhere? Um, if you have, a, say, an Omer's pension, teacher's pension, a, you know, police officer's pension, what have you, and it's gonna, it's like a big giant GIC. Mm-hmm. You know you're gonna get your $30,000 a year or, yeah. or, or 40,000 a year from that. So therefore you could be a bit more aggressive with your investments because you got this big chunk of money paying you every month. Mm-hmm. And that there allows you to increase your risk tolerance. And a good financial planner should be looking at your pension as part of your overall investment mix. Yeah. Okay. And are you aware how much you can lose? So it's one thing when the market drops 20%, but what does that mean in dollars? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a million dollars and it went from a million to 800,000, are you still okay with that? You should be because you just said, I, I can take 20%. Sure. So you might have to dollarize everything. Yeah. And once you dollarize it, now we say, okay, it's still percent. Yeah. I got to wrap my head around this because yeah. I remember going through 08, 09. Yeah. And people said, $200,000 loss. I said, that took me three years to make. Yeah. I said, well, it's still the same 20%. Yeah. It was yeah. a 20% drop that year mm-hmm. in, on his portfolio. And said so it can go up the same, mm-hmm. but it's funny when interest when your investments go up, they go by percentage. Yeah. When they go down, 
They it's go dollars. by dollars. Yeah, okay, yeah. I've just <laughs> lost a car. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so right now we're 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 in the midst of an RSP season, and and you think, okay, where should I put my money? Certainly, the volatility we've had in the last week should not dictate how you invest your money. But not only this year's RSP. Does that make people skittish around RSP time? Yeah. Is this like the worst thing that could have happened to you guys? Never was going to be like, is it? No? No. Well, it's actually usually the opposite, right? Where people, if the market is doing really well and they're high and the markets are high, that everybody wants to put money into their RSP because it's doing well. And and, and typically, of course, everybody who waits till the end of February, Mm. then uh, you're just, you you (laughs) You have have no no choice. choice. Yeah, really. You have no choice. You're buying it whatever the price is at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a lot of money going in at that point, although not as much as there used to be, mm-hmm. which is a concern as well. And um, so I was, we were talking about RSPs and how they get a bad rap, but actually RSP usage has been declining over the years. Why are they getting a bad rap and why is it declining? Yeah. So the bad rap is, and I can't tell you how many times that we were just talking about this off air, you know, I'll be sitting down with a client who's say 73 years old. And uh, the first thing they'll say is right away is, those are SPs. Boy, what a ripoff that is. Yeah. You should see the amount of tax I have to pay on these damn things to take them out. Yeah. And, um, and and so that that's sort of the start of the conversation. But over and over and over again is people are seeing how much tax they have to pay when they take the money out. Yeah. And so the problem is, is we don't have very good memories, yeah. right? We, we <laughs> forget. Oh, they forgot about the refund yeah, check. The they forgot exam. about how much tax they saved when they put it in. Yeah. And so you know, just to do a quick, and we call it the Rodney Danger Dangerfieldification of RSPs because they don't get any respect mm. anymore. By the way, Andy, have you ever cl- ever had a teacher client or somebody with a pension? ever say, oh, I really hate that pension I'm receiving. Yeah. Well, see, now you have to explain that analogy though, because people might, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, of course, every dollar that comes out of your pension plan, you yeah. have to pay tax on. Right. Yeah. And you didn't pay tax on it when you put it in all those yeah. years while you were working. Yeah. So you were deferring the tax on it all the way along. You got a deduction when you put it in and you pay tax when you take it out. Sounds like RSPs to me. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and so it, it compounding. So now that's the first complaint, but then it gets compounded when you hear about old age security being clawed right. back. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got this, this RIF payment that I have to take out for my RRSPs and now I'm losing my old age security. Uh, it's just, I can't, what a ripoff. I never should have done RSPs, mm-hmm. right, is the conversation. And, uh, but I, you know, we can prove mathematically yeah. that RSPs are, are perfectly fine in terms of the concept. And I'll just give you a simple scenario. Let's say you have $3,000 that you're going to put into your RRSP. So mm-hmm. that was pre-tax dollars. So 3000 bucks goes into my RRSP. Now let's compare that if I was going to put the same amount into a TFSA plan. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and this is interesting because- With the same whole, with the same product. The the same same investment. Yeah, same investment. And so this is interesting because actually in a poll that was done, more than half, so about 55% of Canadians think that TFSAs are better. Yeah. All right. So so let's run through the scenario. So 3,000 bucks goes into my RSP. In order to, to start my TFSA plan, if I, let's say I'm in a 33% tax bracket, that's fair. So one third is lost to tax. I only have two grand mm-hmm. that can go into my TFSA, right? Three grand pre-tax yeah. RSP, two grand after tax goes into the tax-free savings account. Now, just as you said, Scott, we'll put them into the same investment and they'll both grow at 5%. So after one year, I have $3,150 in my RRSP. 
and I have $2,100 in my TFSA. Right. So now let's cash them both in. And what do I end up with? So if I cash in my TFSA, how much tax do I pay on that? Uh, none. Zero. Yep. So I get 2100 bucks back. Mm-hmm. When I cash in my $3,150 from my RSP, I pay 33 and a third percent. Mm-hmm. I end up with 2100 bucks, exactly the same as I did in my TFSA. Hmm. Exactly the same. So the the strategy around the RSP definitely comes back to tax brackets and understanding your tax brackets and how to do it. But from a pure pre-tax, after-tax scenario, they are basically giving you the exact same return. The problem is you can't put much into a TFSA. Uh, devil's advocate, what to those that say, yeah, but you know, you're taking the tax off right away into the TFSA, so you're only putting two grand in there, uh, and, and sorry, uh, two into one, three into the other. Yeah. What if you put the same amount into both? Why are you not doing that? Because then you'd have to, you, because your tax RSP gets the tax break, right. you have to factor in that tax break right. to, to equalize them. Right. And so um, I would be able to put in about $4,500 into my TFS or RSP to be able mm-hmm. to put three grand into my, because right. it's the same dollars. Right. I have the right. same dollars yeah. left yeah. over to, mm-hmm. to do this. <clears throat> so um, the, uh, and, and again, when we've talked about this on the show, but if you're a low income retiree or a low income uh, accumulator heading towards retirement, then uh, a TFSA is likely still going to be your best strategy mm-hmm. because it, you want to be able to receive other government benefits at the time you retire, right. Right. which you wouldn't qualify for because they're income tested if you're having to take money out of RSPs. So the TFSA thing, the RIF withdrawals are really what happens. So if you turn 71, and in your 72nd year, you have to start taking money out of the RRSP. And if that's the first time you've done it, boom, a chunk of money comes in, you have to pay tax on it. Yeah. And it, it, be, it can be very frustrating if you're losing old age security. Yeah. But that comes back to not having a financial plan. Yeah, it's planning. Because yeah. if you had a proper financial plan, you would have, uh, we would have anticipated that and understood how do we uh, allocate your resources so that you wouldn't end up with an old age security clawback. And, um, but yeah, literally, I mean, in 2015, we were looking at a study on RSPs, only 35% of Canadians that were eligible put money into an RSP in 2015. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there was unused contribution room of over $1 trillion that's in RSPs. So, you know, at at the end of the day- Will that make government change policy in any way if they see people aren't as interested in these as they once were? Comes back to the crisis of savings. Right? Do we do we have a discipline in our financial life to be able to save on a regular basis? Right. And, and that the TFSA gener- helps that. So, and, and that generally means that you know you're spending too much, right. or you're just simply or living beyond your means if yeah. you're not able to save enough, and you have to readjust your lifestyle to somehow allow you to be able to continue to save. So now, by default, we're saving through Canada Pension Plan, right. and so. The answer to your question is that they enhanced Canada Pension Plan benefits to try and accommodate the fact that we're not saving enough to at least put more of a backstop and and some base level of income available for everybody. Um, But if you have unused RSP contribution room, that's a a signal right there that you're you're probably not saving enough. Um, For those who belong to a pension plan at work, where where it comes right off their paycheck, they are having forced savings happen right from square one, mm-hmm. right before they even get their money. So right. they have no choice in terms of what they sp- <laughs> how much yeah. they have to spend. Yeah. Uh, but those of us who have don't have access to uh, a group uh, RSP or a, um, 
uh, pension plan at work, we have to have this discipline to be able to do this on our own. Mm. So RSP contribution limit for 2017 for last year was $26,010. Right. And, uh, and that sounds like a big chunk, right? And it is a big chunk if you have to maximize it. If you haven't done anything, yeah, yeah. you know, where's that money going to come from? Is mm-hmm. it a line of credit? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a borrowing for RSP purposes? And and again, it comes back to your uh, to your tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So if we took an example, if you earned a hundred thousand uh, dollars, eighteen percent of that can go into an RSP. So mm-hmm. that's eighteen grand. At that tax bracket, you would save. $6,900 of income tax. So mm-hmm. 18 grand goes in, you save 6,900 bucks. That's 38% mm-hmm. of your contribution comes back to you. If your income is 250,000, you can put in $26,000, 26,010, you save 13,900, you, you're getting 53.5% of it back. Mm-hmm. So the higher your tax bracket, yeah. the more tax refund you get per dollar contributed. And so those individuals need to really be focused on making sure that you need to be saving the maximum yeah. into RSPs mm-hmm. if you're earning that kind of income. Yeah. Right? No doubt about yeah. it. And there's really no risk uh, from an RSP standpoint and an estate standpoint if you are in the highest tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're going to save tax at the 53.5% tax bracket. Right. Worst case scenario is you're going to pay at the 53.5% tax bracket. Right. So it's a pure deferral. In fact, I would say most people would if you can save at that bracket because you had some very high income years or maybe you had a big capital gain from a sale of something um, at least you're saving at a high bracket you can then take the money out of the RSPs later generally at a lower bracket mm-hmm. yeah and I know you were going to talk about an example of somebody yes. who had to take had to sort of manage their tax bracket through this process but uh, so for RSPs um, again I think it's something that uh, you just you have to create a a regular contribution system where yeah. you're doing a pre-authorized contribution. We call it a pack. Uh, and, and, and where you put that money in terms of your investment choices is going to be a function of, as Don talked about, your risk tolerance mm-hmm. and your time horizon. How right. much time do you have before you're going to start using this money? And finally, the other piece of that, as we talked about, the complaint that people have as they have to start taking money out yeah. is a plan around maximizing or minimizing the tax you pay on withdrawal. Your financial plan has to address how are you going to get this money out at a lower tax rate than you paid when you put so the, it in. So the plan pulling it out is just as important as the one putting it Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Yeah. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. And don't forget, coming up February 24th, new time for the show. Uh, same day, but the new time, 8 o'clock in the morning, starting February 24th. The show will run from 8 until 9. So make adjustments in your calendar now so you don't miss a thing. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. Take a peek at the website as well, andyanddon.com. And don't forget, coming up February uh, February 24th, that's February 24th, new time for the show starting at 8 a.m. as of February 24th. Talking about selling your cottage to maximize your RSPs, this doesn't sound like much fun at all. <laughs> no, no. For those who have a cottage, you might want to turn off it right now. That's it. Yeah. No, this is a situation where you're looking at a husband wife getting close to retirement. Right. And did a cottage still fit in their lifestyle? Right. And they, they felt they didn't. 
And so here they were self-employed and they had higher income years in the past and they used to buy RSPs with those higher income years because mm-hmm. as Andy said, it's all about tax bracket management. And I've been dealing with this client now for about eight years. And so we were doing RSPs to manage the tax bracket. But at the end of the day, one's 165, the husband and the wife 60, and they had $60,000 of RSP room left. Mm-hmm. Well, they are winding down their business and their incomes are only down to 35,000 for the husband and 25,000 for the wife. So quite a lot less. He's collecting a CPP of 10,000. And when it was all said and done- So they're both retired. They're, they're semi-retired. Almost retired. They're okay. really getting close. Right. You know, and nice thing about being self-employed, you can kind of yeah. wean yourself out That's a little it, bit, yeah. right? So the cottage was, <clears throat> they sold the cottage for 300,000 mm-hmm. and it cost them about 100. And this is an example, it's not exact numbers, yeah. but anyway, um, the capital gain would be 200. Mm-hmm. And what's happened, the taxable capital gain is half of that. Mm-hmm. So you pay tax on half the capital gain. So that's 100,000. And it's split equally between the wife and the husband. So they both would add $50,000 each to their income. Right. So here the, the husband would, would have had the 35,000 of income plus the 10,000 of CPP. So he's up to 45,000. Add the 50 to it. He now has an income, a taxable income of 95,000. Yeah. His wife hasn't collected CPP. She's simply got the 25,000 of salary, add the 50,000 to it. And now you, she has a $75,000 income. Mm-hmm. So they went to their accountant. And I do find this is very common. The accountant says, well, how much RSP room do you have? And they both have 60,000 room. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, just put the $60,000 in. Mm-hmm. Just in that way, you'll save all that tax. Right. And what we've always talked about is tax bracket management. So what I would, my recommendation would be to try to bring their taxable income down to the $45,000 income. Right. Which means they earn a 24% tax bracket. Um, main, and most of it's in, in tax at 20%. Because there's two major tax brackets uh, in the lower end. One's from about 19500 to 42000 and that's a 20% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Then there's this little bracket from 42,000 to almost 46,000. And that's a 24% bracket. So you may want to drop your income all the way down to the 42, but I suggested just put why don't you just take out in the husband's case $50,000 of an RSP. So that will bring his taxable income down to 45 and the wife just uses up 30,000 of the RSP. And the reason I say this, it's not about investing the money and getting this compounding deferral. Because, because of their age. they're 66 and 65 right. now. Right. They're not going to be, they'll be using these funds, um, and particularly once they stop working altogether, and we're going to be start drawing this money out. And the idea is we want to pay 20% tax mm-hmm. when we take it out. Mm-hmm. And they've got about um, 500,000 in RSPs now. So the, there's a risk in putting too much in RSPs is that if they both died mm. and you added this, the 500,000 plus we added 80 because of what I've recommended. They're now at 580. Well, if one person dies, the remaining spouse ends up with 580,000 in RSPs. Yeah. And then if he or she passes on, now they have an income. All that's taxed in one year. Mm-hmm. And if you make 580,000 in one year, guess what tax bracket you're Yikes, in? Yikes, yeah. yeah. 53.53. You got, how do you know <laughs> this stuff? <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of accounts always just want that to, would you know, hurt. It would kill. Oh, and again, man. we gotta at least you do get to pay the tax, and your state gets it. Unlike a pension fund, mm-hmm. that if you died, you're gonna get whatever. If you had ten years of pension, um, and it's gone, mm-hmm. you don't get any of that money. So at least the estate gets half the money. But 
you've been far better off if you didn't use the RSPs in that example, if yeah. they were going to die within a few years, because right. you're only saving mm -hmm. at a 30% bracket and paying at 52. Mm -hmm. But let's go on the optimistic side that they live a long time. The whole point is, is you want to save at the 30% bracket and you're going to be pulling the money out. So they're going to be pulling out the money and get their income up to about this 40,000 year after year, mm -hmm. even if they don't need the money. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're going to pull this money out every year, bring their taxable income up to 40,000 and pay only 20% tax and they save 30. Mm -hmm. So therefore by putting in this $80,000 into the RSP, they're going to end up saving $8,000 in tax differential mm -hmm. because they save at 30, pay at 20. There's no free lunch. You got to pay tax sometime. Yeah, yeah. And but is there a certain age where obviously RSPs just don't make any sense to you? Well, normally or is I would it the age or is it like it's obviously income. tax bracket? It's in, all in income. And this employment. is where I would have thought they were going to retire and use their cottage. So right. I actually thought they were going to not use their RSP room. Right. And they had 60,000 each. So there's 120,000 of RSP room that once they hit 71, it would all disappear. But it turns out by not maximizing all their RSPs all the way through, and using it only when they needed it. Mm. It allowed it to build up a little bit. So when they did sell the cottage, we could wipe out the whole major tax bracket for them uh, from the, the cottage gain. Yeah. And had we maxed it out like a, a machine, so, oh, yeah. I got this much room, I'm just gonna max it out, regardless of the tax bracket, mm -hmm. they would not be able to s have this extra money in RSPs right now and be able to get rid of that 30% tax bracket. Mm -hmm. So. Andy and I, you know, and, and again, any good financial planner should, should be bringing up tax brackets for you when you're making out your RSP contribution. You do not want to try to save at the lowest bracket, especially if you're older, mm -hmm. because there's a chance you might pay it at a lot higher bracket. Right. But in this case, um, they're not going to listen to the accountant in this case, because again, just a snap answer didn't really go through the whole thing. Right. The snap right. answer, just save the tax. Yeah. But really check out the tax brackets, get you, get you your biggest bang for your buck. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget, come February 24th, the show starts at 8 a.m. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Should also tell you, February 24th, new time for the show. As of February 24th, uh, the start time will be 8 a.m. You can call Don and Andy right now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will return your call. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, uh, I've lost my place. Oh, divorce. Yeah. <laughs> and your finances. Is anyone left standing after this? Yeah. Wow. Well, no one really wants to think about divorce, but unfortunately, in can the statistics tell us that at least one in three marriages are ending in divorce. And it's not cheap. And it's not cheap. There's no doubt about it. Well, the, the, the legal costs of mm. going through a divorce, that's a, that's a whole other scenario. Uh, I want to talk about just some of the personal financial costs mm -hmm. and in terms of what, what you need to consider and I guess the consequences of a, of a divorce or an irrevocable breakup, we'll call it. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's the emotional perspective mm -hmm. of, of a marriage breakdown and certainly when there's children involved, et cetera, yeah. there's a whole other level as well. And, um, uh, but the, from a financial standpoint, you know, there's a lot that has to go on. And I think it's important that people are informed 
and engaged. And, and one of the challenges as a financial planner is if I have a couple that's divorced uh, or div- separated now getting divorced, that we have to uh, explain to them a conflict of interest scenario. And the conflict of interest. So you've been is their in, financial planner as so they're together when they're right. apart. It's different. That, that's right. Because mm-hmm. now, if one asks me financial advice, right. what would be the best situation for me? And the and the ex spouse asks me financial advice, what would be the best situation for me? They may actually be opposing answers. Right. Wow. So. I think that the and the hardest thing to do then, I mean, is to first of all we explain what that conflict of interest is, uh, and we usually recommend that they find uh, another advisor if one of them would feel comfortable moving on to a different financial planner. Right. And so, um, and I'm gonna I'll give you an example. So you, like the dog, someone gets custody of the financial planner. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> right? Just, never thought of it that way. There you go. <laughs> um, but so one thing is uh, that I find is frequent. In so many scenarios, uh, situations is where one spouse has been less, we'll call it financially aware of mm-hmm. all the situations going on in terms of the household finances, etc. Mm-hmm. And that's just the normal dividing yeah. and conquering of all the tasks that need to be done in a family, whether mm-hmm. it's raising children, looking after the home finances, medical situations, all of that gets divided up. The lawn care, you name it. Yeah. Uh, finances are no different. <coughs> and so... The one thing you need to look at then is joint accounts. And uh, you need to cancel those joint accounts uh, and create your own separate new accounts. Mm -hmm. But the key thing is, is to find out where is the money held. And so, you know, I was telling Don uh, uh, yesterday about how a client, many times now I'll get a call from a client saying, can you give me a a net worth statement? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a net worth statement is a summary of all of our assets what is the what is the current market value of everything? Mm-hmm. So we kind of know where we are. Well, that's important document if you're going through a divorce or a separation. Sure. You need a listing with account numbers, with each institution addresses, etc. Where are all these assets, mm-hmm. right? And um, and it's not uncommon that a spouse may have neglected to share some of that information. Right. They're not telling us all the finances. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, so I would tell uh, both partners to say, listen, what you need to do is you both need to look at the last two or three years tax returns because there will be information in there that might not have been declared somewhere, mm-hmm. but at least we'll, we get a chance to see some of it. But that's not going to help you if there's money in the Cayman Islands or yeah. there's money in a Swiss bank account somewhere because that's never going to be disclosed on right. any tax return in general. So looking back two or three years on the tax returns makes sense. Um, so uh, the, a financial plan that you have basically gets torn up yeah. and it has to be redone. Uh, and that's, that's key, but con- understanding where the money is and then, um, and then you need to get counsel on your own situation specifically. Hmm. So with respect to those accounts, a joint account, they need to be closed. You need to cancel all your joint credit cards. You need to cancel all the automatic payments that are, that are occurring on a regular basis, including spousal RSP contributions. And, uh, and oftentimes we'll find that a, a spouse may end up with uh, not having a good established credit rating hmm. because cards may have been in one person's name right. with a joint or supplementary cards. And a spouse was never really creating any uh, right, credit yeah. rating. And mm-hmm. I've had seen that happen where a spouse has died. Mm-hmm. And now I had a 70-year-old woman who never had credit rating, yeah. uh, but she wanted a credit card. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> she had to have a very you know, $500 limit to yeah. start off. It's funny yeah. how students graduate and they get a bigger limit. Yeah, exactly. Those. That is bizarre. 
Uh, in terms of your legal rights to the finances, generally speaking, when a couple separates, they're entitled to a division of assets, and that and that will do, that will vary depending on province. But in Ontario, generally, the assets you had prior to marriage are going to be excluded from that. All assets that you've accumulated during marriage are going to be di- divisible, and um, and then if you're in common law situation and you're separating, different rules apply again. And generally in Ontario, you're not entitled to any of the assets that have been accumulated along the way. So when it comes to assets to consider, uh, you know, there's the family home, obviously, a share of government and a Canada pension plan, your workplace pension that has to be uh, uh, divided, and then contributions to RSPs and properties like a cottage, for example. And this could be key because if you have a $200,000 RRSP, that is a completely different tax net tax right, effect than yeah. $200,000 equity in your home. Mm. So the division of assets it's has to you need clear yeah. advice and this is where a conflict of interest could come in because I had one couple ask me, "Well, what should I take? Should I take the investments or the RSP?" Yikes. And I said, "Well, my best advice is you take the investments because your RSPs have to be taxed." And the other spouse never asked me that question because they had separated and gone on to somebody else. Right. And so my client ended up getting the cash and the investments, and the other person got RSPs. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they were far less better off after mm. tax because they didn't get good advice. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. Check out the website at andyanddon.com. And don't forget, coming up February 24th, new time for the show, starting at 8 a.m. Saturday, February 24th. And then same time, same time, same time, or sorry, same place, different time. That's it. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, February 24th. Eight o'clock. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott.